Test one, two. Test one, two. It's about that time to begin tonight. Hate to break up good fellowship. Last Wednesday night, we started a lesson on angels. That was Gentry's request, and it became a pretty popular topic. Gentry's got some handouts. If you have not gotten a handout, just raise your hand, and Gentry will head over your way. Did everybody get a copy of the outline? I know some of y'all are sharing. I appreciate that. We've got plenty of copies. Meg made about 60. We've got some away at Bible Camp, is my understanding tonight, so... Numbers are down a little bit. Let's talk a little about angels and review what we discussed last week. Last week, we, we talked about why study the angels, and we talked about that there is a lot of general interest about... we got more coming in, Gentry, in the back. Gentry's got your outline. He'll give you one. There seems to be a fascination or a tr- intrigue with, with angels, a lot of curiosity, some, unfortunately, misinformation. I hear angels mentioned quite often in funerals, and what people say in funerals or talk about after a funeral seems to be a, often unbiblical. Sean's going to tell us tonight. You ready, Sean? How many times are angels mentioned in the Bible? You remember? Ah, that's right, Jim. You got it. 300. Yeah, Sean said 2,000. Missed it by a little bit. 300. And that's still pretty impressive a lot of times to be mentioned in the Bible. So there's a lot of questions that we do have about angels, and we discussed that last night. The gentleman that I'm using a book, in addition to a book I have, Gentry Let Me Borrow, uh, he's uh, Edward P. Myers. He's from, he was originally at White's Ferry Road, and they asked him to teach a Bible class. He did a Wednesday night series on angels, and then there was so much interest, he started traveling around and doing it, and then he wrote a book. But he's affiliated with Harding Graduate School or Harding School of Religion. There's also Frank Peretti's book, uh, This Present Darkness, and another book he wrote, Preparing or Piercing the Darkness, and then Billy Graham wrote a book on angels. So there's a lot of uh, interest. We talked about some basics. They're mentioned over 300 times. Um... Thousands upon thousands of angels have appeared in heaven. Uh, That's mentioned in Hebrews 22 through 23. Myriads are a mighty host praising God. Um, They bid God's um, request. They're ministering servants, Hebrews 1.14. We've talked a little about guardian angels. We'll get into that later in our study. Uh, They are in the Bible for a reason. Um, The Bible talks about all the things that we need to know about, and angels are included in the Bible. They take an interest in us, Luke 15, verse 7. Uh, We need to be hospitable to strangers because the Bible says we may entertain angels unaware. And uh, one thing that I thought was interesting is they escort people to paradise in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We know Lazarus, the beggar, when he died, was escorted to heaven by angels. We talked about angelic escorts a little bit last week, and uh, a lot of people believe that just as you get ready to pass into that next life, that believers often can see their escorts, can see an angel who's coming. And I gave an example of a man who, who saw something in his room and wanted to know more about that individual as he looked up in the corner of the room. Uh, any any comments about last week or what we discussed? Did everybody get a copy of that line? Any any thoughts or comments? Here's some questions, and I'm thankful Meg wrote this down. These are some things that came up uh, last week, and we'll try to address these uh, through the course of our lesson. Can angels change forms? Uh, I think Moses in the burning bush was mentioned, that a, a voice came out of the burning bush but it was probably an angelic presence. Do humans become angels after they die? Were angels part of the large population? What I think what that means is, is there's a reference to a large race of men, Nephilim, in the, in the early part of the Bible in Genesis. Did that have anything to do with intermarrying with angels, maybe the fallen angels? Interesting question. What are the different forms or different ranks 
of angels. Um, why is it that Balaam could not see an angel, but the donkey could? Maybe it was a really smart donkey. I know Balaam lost an argument with that donkey, but Zechariah questioned an angel when um, the announcement of John the Baptist was made. And um, yes, Sean, you had a question. Okay. All right, like. You ever watch, like, one of those ghost shows? Yeah, yeah. Animals Where are those? Animals can see ghosts. Animals can see ghosts for some reason. Some people can see ghosts, some can't. Yeah. Good good point. Yeah, I think All you got right. Yeah. So some people can see ghosts, others cannot. Maybe that's the case for angels. Maybe angels want to be seen. Maybe angels appear to us and we don't know they're angels. So... Well, there's just so many questions I have, things I don't understand about angelic beings. I believe they're real. I believe God made them for a reason. They're a created being. And um, we'll talk later as we get into our study about, well, what about the great rebellion in heaven? Wasn't there a large group who fell away and they were cast down? What, ha- what was that all about and what was Satan's role? And So we'll talk about the fallen angels so we'll study some things about them as well. I wanted to continue our lesson uh, and just talk about some of the, the names or words that were used throughout the Bible. There are several references to holy ones, holy ones, these angelic beings. Also, mighty ones, that's in Job and Psalms. Uh, they're, re- they're referred to in Hebrews chapter 1 as ministering servants. Uh, Daniel 4 refers to them as messengers, messengers. The word angelos actually is uh, referred to quite often in the Greek, a messenger. Psalms 89 refers to the council of the holy ones. Luke 2, this was the announcement of the birth of Jesus. They were a heavenly host, a heavenly host. Heavenly beings, Psalm 89, verse 6. So they're referred to several different ways. Now, at some point, I want to talk about the origin of the angels. And last week I mentioned Job 38. But what I chose to do, we're going to defer that just a little bit. But I do want to talk about the origin of the angels, when they may have been created, um, how do they compare to human beings. And uh, so we'll look at Job 38, verses 4 through 7. But what I'd like to do tonight and the, the, the week after VBS, we won't, have, we won't meet, obviously, Wednesday night because of Vacation Bible School next week, but the following week we'll pick up with this topic. I wanted to talk about angelic visitations, angelic visitations, angels showing up or presenting themselves on uh, different occasions in the Old Testament, New Testament. So I chose tonight to look at three angelic visitations. Now, there's a whole lot more, and I'd like to refer you to the outline, this biblical survey of angels, angels in the Old Testament on your front page, and you can see A through L, and then it continues M through V, and then it goes to to category two, angels in the New Testament, and all of those angels that were uh, present on earth, angels in the book of Acts, Angels in the epistles, angels in the book of Revelation, and wow, there's a whole bunch mentioned in the book of Revelation, which makes sense because Revelation was written uh, basically where John was caught up into the third heaven, the, the actual domain of God and angelic beings, and in that place where he had this vision, uh, he was maybe allowed to see things in that third heaven, that's where the angels reside in the presence of God. So I, I suspect it makes sense that angels are mentioned a lot. On the very last page of your handout, you'll notice that I've given credit to Edward P. Myers, Ph.D. I, actually, I made a copy of his appendix in the back of his book and wanted to make sure I gave credit to him. Uh, this was um, published by Howard Publishing, and uh, I thought it was a very interesting list just the fact that it's mentioned so much in the Bible, so many different angelic 
references that is probably a good topic to spend some time on. Okay, let's just stop and kind of throw this out for the class. What is one of your favorite stories of angels in the Old Testament? Meg said she had one. She'll share with us in a few minutes. What do you think? One of your favorite stories of angels or angelic visitations in the Old Testament? Okay, who's got the microphone? Josh, why don't you head over to Glenn? Thank you, Josh. Josh is running the mic tonight, getting a little extra exercise. Uh, this isn't going to take too long. Uh, when Jacob wrestled the angel. I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And I thought that was fascinating. It's typically a man thing, a man story. But here he wrestled him all night long. And and uh, I thought it was kind of odd the way after they were done what what Jacob said. You can go ahead and tell us if you want to. Well, I know Jacob requested a blessing from the angel. And I think in the course of their conversation, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he want to know what the angel's name was? Yeah, and the angel told him, you remember? Anybody remember what the angel told him? Yeah. What did Gene say? Say again, Gene. Yeah, the angel the angel changed his name, but the angel said, I don't need to tell you my name. You probably wouldn't know what it is anyway. You couldn't understand it. I thought that was interesting. But we know Jacob's name was changed to Israel. But uh, on two or three occasions in this particular place, if I'm not mistaken, he saw a lot of angelic activity. In one, in one time where he laid down and he was sleeping, he saw angels ascending and descending uh, on the time, ladder, Jacob's I'm, ladder. I'm You're getting off my point, my request here. Yes, I sir. wanted to explore this because uh, if you excuse the pun, it was kind of an out-of-joint experience for Jacob. Out-of-joint? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because the angel says, you don't need to know my name. And it's almost like the angel says, I'm going to help you to remember you're messing around with one of God's creatures, and I'm going to touch your hip. And you're going to have a hitch in your giddy-up. I love these bottom-line stories. Yeah. You're going to have a hitch in your giddy-up the rest of your life, so you'll never forget me. And so, uh, to me, that was uh, it spoke to both, both the character of God's angel and also of Jacob. You know, he, yep. he was wanting to, inquiring minds want to know, who are you? Yeah. And, and so, uh, I just find that story delicious. That's a that's it. a fascinating study. You could probably do a personal study for weeks on. First of all, why did he feel inclined to wrestle with the angel? Why did he want to ask for a blessing? He probably knew this was a being in God's presence and had the ability or power. Another thing I find funny, if you ever think about it, when David was standing on the threshing floor, right, and he looks up and he sees the angel of the Lord, who is uh, basically God's punisher after David numbered Israel. You may recall he saw the angel with his sword drawn. What was that single angel getting ready to do? Does anybody remember? He was getting ready by himself to destroy the entire city of Jerusalem. So why do we have another example of an angel wrestling all night with one man, and the worst he does is dislocate his hip? You know, another thing about this, I call this a, a true guy story because when I was growing up as a kid, that was what my dad, my brothers, we all wrestled each other. Yeah. And that carried over with Mark and David. That was almost a rite of manhood with them, our Mark and David. Uh, Judy, yeah, she uh, updated me. Our Mark and David. That she they had would a part wrestle. Of that, I'm they sure. would. They, well, she witnessed some of it. Yeah. But uh, you don't be hollering at us. Quit that. But we would clear the. You know, we didn't destroy anything. But we just clear the carpet, and have at it. And I'll never forget the last time 
with both my boys is when they almost got me. Yeah. And I said, that's enough of this. I'm not going to wrestle you no more because I'm not going to let you beat me. And, and I'm afraid you're going to do it on your own anyway. And, yeah. so, and we never wrestled after that. <laughs> yeah. And they were good with that. But, yeah. you know, that just spoke to me. That, that passage of Scripture just spoke to me so loud when I read that because I thought, boy, that's a guy thing right there. Amen. And uh, yeah. the fact that the angel, I felt like the angel was saying, hey, you took a lot of my time and a lot of my energy. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure you never forget This me. is a night you won't forget. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else on an angelic story in the Old Testament, an angel visitation, anybody have a favorite they want to share? Anybody? Ah, John. Nope. All right. Anybody? The silent group over here? All right. So what I've decided to do, I picked um, three kind of randomly, and I hope, hope you enjoy these, but... The first one is in Genesis 18 and 19. Anybody know what's going on in Genesis chapter 18 and 19? What's happening? Who can tell me? Yep, that's right. The Lord comes, and along with the Lord are who? Who comes with the Lord to make that announcement? Two angels, right? So this, automatically, this is intriguing because the Lord himself meets with Abraham face to face. One of the rare cases where he looks like a man. Apparently his glory is shielded and God, it's almost like Jesus Christ in the flesh, God in the flesh, the Father is in the flesh and is meeting with Abraham, and we're told that two other visitors are included, and they are angelic beings, all looking like men. Well, let's just read it. I'm going to flip over here to Genesis 18 and 19. All right. So, uh, let's go back to 18. The Lord, now, just so you know, when in the Old Testament, if the word Lord is L-O-R-D, all capitals, it usually refers to Yahweh, the Father himself, right? If it's L. Lowercase O-R-D, it may be an angel of the Lord, not the Lord himself. But in this case, it's implying Yahweh appeared to him, God himself. And so here is, here is uh, Abraham. He lifted up his eyes, verse 2, he looked at, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So he gets water, he washes their feet, he says, rest yourself, he brings them bread, they eat. Uh, I think later they actually have um, some bread to eat, some curds and uh, milk from a calf and meat, and so they ate. Uh, and they stood by them under the tree while they ate. So three men. What do you think these men look like? Do you have any idea? Does the text say what they look like? Do you think they were shiny? Yeah. Do you think they had wings? No. They didn't look like angels at all. It says they were men, as Brother Gene pointed out. So, as Rose pointed out, verse 9, where is Sarah, your wife? Then they make this incredible announcement that she's going to have a child. Now, that would be pretty neat, except the fact that they're like in their 80s and 90s or 100, really old. The baby having time is gone. There's no way, no how. But God says it anyway, 
She laughed. God calls her on it. And um, then she denied it and said, I did not laugh. No, but you did laugh. So basically, uh, they set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. Abraham went with them to set them on their way. So here, here's kind of, I get the sense, and y'all let me know what you think. I get the sense that Abraham knows this is the Lord. Would you agree? He's the Lord. And with him are two angelic beings who look like men. The Lord looks like a man. They ate. Um, Abraham fixed food for them. You don't do that every day. So the Lord basically says, uh, I don't want to hide from Abraham. You know, after all, Abraham is, is a patriarch of, of the covenant of my people, and I'm going to put great blessings upon him. I've chosen him, so I need to let him know what's going to happen. And then verse 20, he talks about the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a very wicked city, right? Their sin is very grave. So he says, I'm basically sending an envoy to men to go verify uh, that this is, in fact, the case. Um, According to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. I'm going to verify, which I find strange because God already knows whether it's true or not. But in this case, he's sending two angels to bring back a report. Abraham intercedes. Lord, would you wipe away... Uh, the righteous with the wicked. So we begin this negotiation process. If you find X number of righteous people, Lord, will you destroy it? No, I won't. Abraham keeps negotiating down, and so he goes 20, and then he goes down to 10. And so basically what I find interesting is that if there were 10 righteous people found in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord would not destroy it. Now these two angels, the Lord apparently goes a different way and maybe returns to heaven. We don't know, but two angels come to Sodom in the evening. Now, apparently, it's the custom in ancient Jewish culture for someone traveling, if they need a place to stay, they go to the city square and they stay there, and someone who wants to be hospitable to serve as a host comes and invites these guests to stay in their home. This seemed to be the case with Lot. So Lot saw them in chapter 19. He rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please return aside to your servant's house, spend the night, and wash your feet. Now, Meg and I had a discussion. Did Lot know these were men of God? Did he know they were angels? What do you think? That's, yeah, Wanda, I'm kind of leaning, Wanda was saying that this seems to be the customary greeting of anyone who wants to extend hospitality toward a guest who's traveling. It's, it's in the Jewish culture or tradition, it's almost like you take great pride in being respectful and honoring your guest and being the best host you can, and this seems to be what, what Lot is doing. I don't know that Lot knew, and I think I heard somebody say that he bowed down and called them lords. Was that? Again, uh, Rose, not to disagree with you, this was just simply a tribute our, our act of respect toward them and showing his humility and being a host. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe he knew they were angels. Maybe he didn't. I can promise you this, that in time, Lot knew they were not ordinary men, right? Let's keep reading. So that, from, my get, from my gathering, and, and I'm thinking intuitively, they probably just look like ordinary Men who are traveling. Two men. So Lot insisted, no, you're not going to stay in the town square. You're going to come to my house. He pressed them strongly. They turned aside to him and entered his house. He made them a feast 
and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Isn't it interesting that angels ate human food twice in one day? By the way, how did they get to Sodom and Gomorrah? Anybody know? They walked. If you go back and look at the story, it implies that they traveled, they took a journey. They didn't, they didn't fly, they didn't teleport, right? They walked. So from every physical appearance, these, these seem to be men, which would lend to the scripture that says, be careful when you entertain strangers, you may be entertaining angels unaware. They're not going to let you know who they are. They don't shine. They don't have wings. But in this case, these two visitors that look very human do something. No, I'm saying once they left Abraham's camp, Abraham walked with them a journey, a, a, a way, right? And it was in this portion of the trip between Abraham's camp and as they were heading towards Sodom and Gomorrah that God revealed what he was going to do. As Abraham and the Lord discussed this and had this negotiation I think at that moment, the angels were already traveling and walking, right? Now, if you follow the story, later on, we're going to see that Abraham is walking and sees the smoke in the distance. So it's not a great distance. But my point is, is these men, from every indication, are human in their appearance and behavior. That makes sense? So not like other angelic visitations we've seen where people shudder with fear and tremble because the room lights up and they're very glorious and shining. conflict in what he's trying to do, but he meant well. He just didn't do well. So, uh, one of the great perplexing things that's said in the Bible is why in the world would, would, would Lot offer his young daughters to this, these riotous men outside who are asking about the, the male visitors? Well, Lot, was, Lot and his family were a family of compromise practically from day one. He took advantage of Abraham. Uh, he took advantage of the opportunity to live in an urban area. That's cautionary for the rest of us right now. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. live in an s- urban area, where's all the crime? Where's all the filth? Where's the, where's you the worst? You tell us to head for the hills? Yeah. Go out in the yeah, country? head for the hills. Well, Abraham, he took the better part, uh, although Lot thought he had it. Right. And so, you know... Uh, this, to me, this is a very cautionary tale about how angels, it got so bad that God had to send his angels down yeah. to intervene and save Lot and his family. Yeah, I, I think one possibility, Glenn, is because Lot was in a very wicked environment, there's a possibility that we're seeing some what I call pagan corruption, maybe in, in Lot's thinking. I don't, I don't really know why. Some writers, as you read this in their commentary, they'll say, well, Lot obviously was compromised. He made choices that took him further from God. But yet, Lot is called righteous in the Bible. And he the was, Lord saved it, righteous Lot. They didn't call him sinless. It called him righteous. <laughs> now, Lot rose above his lot in life. But this is a man that committed sex with his daughters and had a whole country of people. Moabites, where do you think that come from? Mm-hmm. You know, some of these tribes that, that hounded the Jews all the time were these tribes from these daughters. Right. Sired by lot. That, that's, we don't like to talk about things like that. That's that incestuous awful. relationship that was probably caused by alcohol. You know, I think we need to look at these people as they were, not as we wish they were. Yeah. And Lot's wife's another example. She couldn't, she had enough of that pagan Sodom 
and Gamora in her, she just had to take, oh, I hate to leave this. This is wonderful. And had to turn and look one more time. Well, this story's rich with good sermon material, isn't it? It sure is. <laughs> you turn your back on the Lord. Yeah. He turned his back on her. And she's a pillar of salt there someplace uh, in that area. She's still there. All right. Uh Say that again in the mic. His soul was fixed daily because of the conditions of Sodom. Right. Yep. All right. And I think uh, Adam had a comment in the back. Thank you, Gene. Her heart went out to those people that were about to die. Uh, yes. The Bible doesn't tell us why she turned around. Right. When God says it's time, it's hard for us because, you know, we love these people, but at some point God says you have to let go. Well, I, I think, Adam, and, and again, I, I want to be careful in my speculation. I mean, the Bible just doesn't tell us why she turned around, but as a student of human nature, remember that when Lot warned those future son-in-laws about the impending danger, do you remember their response? They thought he was joking, and they did not take him seriously, implying that they stayed back in Sodom and Gomorrah. As the hellfire and brimstone of those huge boulders of smoking sulfur fell, and began destroying the city, I believe that Lot's wife knew those two young men who were supposed to marry her daughters were still back there, right? Also, being a homemaker, she had been there for quite a while and made a home and made friends and worldly, albeit people who were, who were corrupt and sinful, they were still part of her community, including two young men that her daughters loved very much. So, I can't speak as to why she turned around, I can only conjecture why she did. And um, her heart, in some ways, was longing for a corrupt place and corrupt people. But there was that compassionate part of her, too. So, yeah, good question. Um, I was going to say, in the beginning, in chapter 19, the fact that the angels, the fact that the angels met him at the gate because Lot was with... You know, he had power, prestige, position, because the only people, the gate was the meeting place for people with that kind of, of, of uh, you know, at, throughout the Old Testament, meeting at the gate. Very important people were always at the gate. Yeah, we know the city elders a lot of times were at the gate. That was in the case so, of uh, Boaz. Of course, we don't know why she turned around, but the fact that the angels met him or saw him at the gate let you know that Lot had gotten used to power and prestige. Well, and something Meg and I talked about, Rose, was that I asked Meg, I said, now did Lot just voluntarily leave the city? The answer is no. The angels physically grabbed his hand and his wife's hand and pulled him out of the city, which is sort of contributing to a point Glenn made earlier, and that was he had become used to the culture and the people, and he didn't want to leave. But he did, under duress. Tom, uh, I find it interesting. It happened to me today. Uh, I call it rubbernecking. Uh, do you know what causes most accidents besides the accident? Is people looking at the accident, looking and wanting to know what's going on, what's happening, bending their heads around and not driving in front of them, rear-ending other cars. I've seen it happen. Yes. Lots of times. Yep. And, and I think that's inherent in our human nature. We want to know what's going on. Right. And so whatever motivated her, we could speculate that all day and never know for sure. But yet, 
there's certain indicators that there was a resistance on her family and her and even Lot. Uh, even though he was dragging her, he didn't, he didn't really want to go either. And so uh, I find that very cautionary for me today. When I saw that ambulance and uh, fire truck go by today, and I was watching everybody, and cars were weaving all over the road. Some of them didn't. They were trying to pull over, and some of them were trying to go straight ahead and get by them fast. And it was just chaos. And that's what Sodom and Gomorrah was. God reigned chaos, not only hellfire and brimstone on them, Chaos. There was that's the most chaotic thing I bet uh, ever in the history of man. Wow. Uh, maybe yeah. the maybe the Noah and the Ark, but th- that's scary. That's the kind of stuff that'll make believers out of non-believers. All right. Let's get back to our angel story. We know that these two angels, um, the the men of the of the town. I don't want to get too graphic here, but. There was an attraction, we'll just call it a same-sex attraction, which is what sodomy is known for, Sodom and Gomorrah, the wickedness of the city. So they were interested in these two guests, which we presume might have been handsome young men. Uh, These are new men in town. We want to have our way with them physically. Lot, to our horror, offers his young girls who've not been with men, they don't want them. And at that moment, as the, and the men are trying to break the door down and, and get their way into these two guests, what happens? Right, the angels cause all of the men outside to be blind. At that moment, if I believe if Lot didn't know they were supernatural beings, that's probably his first clue. Right? These guys are not normal guests. And so they bring Lot, they physically bring him inside, they shut the door, they bar the, they bar the door. And, and what's sad, in, in kind of an indictment in verse 9, they, that is the men that wanted to have their way with this, these two guests, they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down, but the men reached out their hands, brought Lot into the house, He struck them with blindness, and they were still groping for the door. That's pretty depraved, um, sad, sad circumstance. And so now they announce in verse 13 that we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. Now, did they say the Lord is going to destroy it? Pardon? The Lord has sent us. So I want you to, in your memory bank, I want you to remember that angels are very powerful. Very powerful. If one angel who was sent to destroy the city of Jerusalem as a result of King David's Uh, sin for numbering the fighting men of Israel. One angel with a sword drawn to destroy a whole city? One angel could do that. These two angels could easily destroy Sodom and Gomorrah by having command over the physical forces of of the universe and beginning to have fire and brimstone rain down on the cities. I believe at this point there was no question. There was just no question Lot had to know these were specific visitors from God. Teresa, did you have a comment? Hang on a second. Where's our microphone? I want to make sure Facebook and the rest of us can hear you. Teresa, sorry. I know y'all hate that, but it helps. What about the death angel that killed all the firstborn of Egypt? Yes. That was pretty powerful. Uh, yes, absolutely. The, death, the single death angel that killed all the firstborn throughout the land of Egypt. And for that matter, any Israelites who didn't obey. You know, that's, that's something we don't think about. Josh, oh, Jim, then Glenn. I yes, was sir. just thinking of the 185,000 Assyrian, Assyrians overnight. Absolutely. Yeah, there they were, dead. 185,000. Yeah, I, I like to think of them as agents representing God, and it's God's power that is 
given, perhaps given to right. them. They were so, more heralds and messengers of God's power and God's word than they were the actuators of it. Right. Uh, it all power belongs to Him. All light. Yes. All wisdom. All authority. Yep. I just thought it was interesting that when they say in verse 13, we are about to destroy it, did they mean we, these two people standing before you, or we being the Lord and and us are getting ready to destroy it? You'll have... Yeah, the Lord reigned. That's right. A little bit later, that's a good point. Yep. Yep. So uh, another request that Lot made is he was concerned about traveling far enough and he couldn't get there in the time frame allotted so they I think agreed to let him travel to a small city called Zor I think that yeah Zor this is in verse 22 the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor then the Lord reigned thank you uh, for that clarification it was the Lord who reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven Uh, he overthrew those cities Lot's wife uh, verse 26, behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. So Adam can explain all the reasons she looked back, right? We can only speculate, but I think some of the things we've talked about, Adam, makes sense. You know, she's emotionally um, vested in that which she was forced to leave. She has people she loves and cares for. And what's interesting, Lot's two daughters later in Zor. Uh, and that's a whole different story uh, where they got their father drunk. The reason they got him drunk and, and tried to procreate with him is they thought, possibly, there's no more men left. Our dad's it. You know, maybe the destruction in their minds was so total that uh, there was no chance of future husbands. It's an interesting story. Yes, Wanda. indicates to us that God always means what he says. Yes. Yeah. That's a very good point. Follow instructions explicitly and uh, don't question those instructions. And, and that's one thing I appreciate about God's law or God's instructions throughout the Bible is he doesn't, he's not the author of confusion. He doesn't tell us things that we're like, well, did he mean this or did he mean this or follow the instructions. And um, in that case, she was not to look back. And when she did, we know that she turned into a a pillar of salt. Yes, ma'am. And to piggyback what she's saying, we need to be very careful not to make excuses. Uzzah touched the ark. Oh, but I was just trying to keep it from falling. You know what I'm saying? So we need to be careful because that is right. God means what he says, and we need to obey whether we truly understand it. Take out our human emotions sometimes. Yes. We need to just listen. Yeah, amen. And you know, it's interesting, you, you bring up the example of Uzzah. David felt really, really bad. He was angry at first that Uzzah was struck dead, and then later he realized Uzzah died because I didn't enforce God's rules that were specifically on transporting the ark, so I accept that responsibility. I do appreciate that about David, is he said, Uzzah's dead basically because of me, so now next time we move this, we're going to do it right. And he did. Glenn? Correct. Yeah. The rings, it was fabricated with rings and poles that were supposed to go through the rings to be carried by the men. They knew that. They had just forgotten. They had gotten out of the habit of transporting it. And uh, so putting it on the ox cart, when when the oxen stumbled, uh, it reached out instinctively and, and touched it and died. So, very interesting story. Now, uh, what I wanted to do tonight, if, if we could, just very quickly, I've got one of three done. We had a lot of good discussion on, on the Old Testament angelic visits. Here's five things that I, that I um, observed about this story. By the time they met Lot, uh, they were having their second meal. That means that angels, in this case, ate and seemed to be very human. Uh, They looked like ordinary men, maybe even, as Glenn pointed out, they were attractive men. I don't know. They were just men, 
and for whatever reason, Sodom and Gomorrah men desired them and asked for them. Verse 11, the angels reveal their power through causing blindness. Number four, uh, verse 13, how did they destroy? Uh, We decided that they said they had been sent to destroy it, but we learned later it was God's power and destruction. So basically, I don't know that they have that power themselves, but they're basically agents representing God and are very powerful because they represent the Lord and are messengers for the Lord. Um, We know that both Lot and his wife were warned not to look back. And I made a note here that that speaks of God's authority. And I think that was your point. When God tells us to do something or not do something, we don't need to go back and say, but Lord, would you, you know, just obey. Obey because it came from from the Lord. Now, I'm going to go ahead and cover the next two when we meet again. Uh, the The second one was when the angel leads Israel in the wilderness. This is Exodus 14, 28, and 32. We're going to talk about the angel who led a very different looking angel than what we studied tonight. So if you want to go ahead and read ahead, that's Exodus 14, Exodus 23, Exodus 32. And then the third story is the angels who are present uh, when Elisha was trapped and surrounded by a Syrian army. The angels in Second uh, Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. So if it's okay with y'all, we'll talk about those two lessons uh, when we come back after VBS. Did you enjoy the discussion on angels tonight? Very interesting. Very interesting. So much to learn. Well, thank you for your comments and your time, and I think we'll go ahead and get started with our invitation tonight. Well, tonight we talked about an example of uh, following God's instruction and not questioning when we're given a specific command. So, just as a reminder, each of us in our Christian walk, We stumble sometimes, we struggle with sin, and we know that we need to confess that sin and repent. We always, when we come together, have an invitation song, uh, reflect on our life and our walk. So we always want to offer this time, if you need to come and and ask for prayer, ask for strength, ask for encouragement, we're happy to do that. We're going to be singing invitation song number 608, 608. So... One of the sad things about the Lord's coming is that uh, if we're in a spiritual state of rebellion when he returns, it's not going to look real good on us because there's a finality to the Lord's return. The good news is as long as there's time, we can always repent. We can always uh, change our behavior and change our hearts. So we invite you to think about that great wedding feast that we eat, that uh, dining with the Lord in heaven. And that will be a time to rejoice. So we hope you look forward to that great feast. But if you have any doubts, we invite you to reflect on your life and come and let us pray for you. Let's stand and sing together, number 608.
be seated, please. I want to give a quick update on Bill Young. I talked to BJ today, and yesterday he did have a shunt put in the brain uh, to relieve some of the pressure from the swelling as a result of the stroke. He still has some paralysis on one side. He's starting to move his left foot a little bit. And um, BJ texted me and said, well, now he's singing, These Are the Days of Elijah. So that's a good sign, you know, when you can lay in your hospital bed and sing songs about God. So uh, I told BJ I'd be there tomorrow and we could sing together. So just keep praying for Brother Bill Young. Glenn's going to lead us in just a moment in our closing prayer, so I'd ask that you direct your prayer request to him. And um, we'll just keep uh, Bill in prayer as a result of his stroke and BJ as she cares for him. This coming Saturday is going to be a VBS work day that begins at 10 in the morning. Then there'll be a skit practice later at 5. You can see Shannon with more questions. There will not be a Bible Bowl practice Sunday. VBS is beginning Sunday night, ages 3 to 5th grade. We're going to have our Sunday evening service at 6 o'clock. Remember, it's not at 5. It'll be at 6. And we'll do our pizza kickoff um, for VBS that night. should be a lot of fun. Uh, VBS is going to be Monday night through Wednesday night. We'll meet at 6.30 through 8.30. And so try to invite uh, neighbors and friends. We'd like to have a big group. There are flyers available to give out. The ladies are invited to baby shower for Nathan and Caitlin Wallace. That's uh, Sunday, August 7 at 2 p.m. at the Fellowship Hall. They're expecting a baby boy. They're registered at Target, Walmart, and Amazon. There's a VBS at Cheap Hill Church of Christ. That'll be Saturday, July 30 from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And there is a flyer on our board. The young men are doing our service on the fifth Sunday night, July 31st. So if you have... Uh, any questions or you'd like to be involved, see me. I've already got our four speakers lined up, so we're excited about that. And um, we'll be talking about the subject of prayer. Hillcrest Church of Christ is hosting a spiritual emphasis weekend, August 5 through 7. There is a flyer with more information you can see. And finally, Hilldale is going to have a Ladies' Day Saturday, August 27. There's a flyer in the bulletin board as well. If you... Um, don't want to register online, you can sign the sheet in the foyer by August 15, and those names will be forwarded to Hilldale. What's our count tonight? 6-7. Six, seven. All right. I knew it would be down a little bit. Meg mentioned we had camp going on, several traveling. Um, let's talk about any prayer requests for Glenn. Anybody? We know Bill Young, obviously. We want to remember Bill and BJ. Anybody else that we need to remember in prayer as uh, Glenn leads us tonight? Glenn? Or Jim? Sue Wade. I think, was Sue the one that was from Hilldale? Yeah, she had been a member of Hilldale for years and years. And uh, all right, well, we appreciate Jim and Glenn building a relationship with those ladies over there and doing a great work and, and uh, keep up that good work. So remember Sue Wade. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, Denise got a report today that uh, Monday that yeah, her hand, she's basically done with therapy. She's going to basically, wherever she is, that's the best it's going to get for her. So she's not 100% by any means, and she's got to learn to adapt and work with some limitations on that hand. So just keep Denise in mind. We understand Paulette's heart's still in rhythm, so that's good. We're encouraged by that. All right, anyone else? Okay. Okay, spell the last name C A Calvert. Peggy Calvert. Okay. Did you get that, Glenn? Cousin to Paulette. And yes, Darlene. John Trauber, chemo on Monday. Yeah, really sick right now. Just um, did he? 
good. Okay. Thank you for that update. Anyone else before we're led in prayer? And if you don't mind, Glenn, just say a special prayer for our upcoming Vacation Bible School. I appreciated Adam's leadership and reaching out to the uh, uh, Adam's community. And, and hopefully we'll have some folks come to our back-to-school bash and Vacation Bible School as a result of that effort. Glenn, you want to come lead us? All right. All right. Can we get some microphone volume there? It's going to get on. Thank there we you. Go. Okay, Glenn. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have so many good folks on our prayer this evening. We ask that you hear our prayer. We petition you in faith and trust and knowing that you love these good people and that you will minister to them in ways that we ourselves cannot imagine. Father, help us to reach out to them in any way that we have, but also help us to trust that you will use us as well as everything about them to strengthen them and help them to feel your presence and your Holy Spirit in their lives. Uh, dear God, we ask on, uh, at this time on behalf of Bill Young, uh, recovering from his stroke, uh, we pray that the uh, surgery on his carotid artery might be uh, totally successful and he might return to us again. Uh, Father, we bless BJ and, and, the, and the girls and, the, and their whole family. And may they all be comforted by you. Uh, be with our brother Dean Bennett. Uh, he is no longer able to worship with us. And we pray that uh, we might uh, take opportunities to fellowship with him through cards, uh, through calls, uh, through any means that we can to where he knows he's still loved and thought of in, in the Stroudsville Church. Uh, Father, I have a prayer tonight on behalf of uh, A.V. Rose uh, family, which we minister to, especially during the holidays time. Uh, A.V.'s mother uh, told me that she had just had surgery this week to have some cysts uh, removed internally from her so that uh, she could continue to grow and as into a healthy child. This beautiful little family, Father, uh, have had some so many difficulties and so many challenges. Bless them, Father, and may they feel your your loving hand on them. You're your father to us all, especially to these sweet, innocent, dear children. Father, may they know your presence uh, with them, especially in this time. Father, we pray that you be with our sister Sue Wade. Uh, her health is declining. Uh, we pray, Father, we accept this with all of us. We know that we shouldn't want to live here eternally, and you've told us that we won't. And Sue accepts that. She says, I'm looking forward to being with my God in heaven and with his son making that possible. So, uh, And that's so encouraging to hear Christians late in life making that good confession again and again. Uh, Father, we also uh, pray for... Uh, Dennis, uh, Paulette, uh, or excuse me, uh, Paulette's cousin, Peggy Elliott, or Peggy Calvert. Um, we ask, Father, that uh, you be with Denise and continue to help her as she uh, continues to recover from for her injuries. It's been a long, hard time for the family. And uh, bless her, Paulette and Dennis, as they continue to minister to their daughters. Uh, also, Father, we pray on behalf of John Traver uh, in his cancer treatment. Uh, it's it's all, those of us who've had family members with cancer know what a difficult time that is, and you have up days and down days, and yet for a child of God, there's all days with Him and Him upholding us all. Father, so we pray for that. Father, we also pray for our upcoming VBS. We pray that you'll bless Shannon and all the workers and all the work they're doing. Uh, Father, you tell us if we're good and faithful service, you will provide the rest. And we call on you to help this to be another successful VBS. And that your name and the name of your son might be magnified by what we do here. Be with our elders, deacons, and members. Be with our kids here now at church camp. We'll be glad to have them back with us so that we might go on to new opportunities of service to you and your church. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things, Father. Amen.